the Edwin Smith Papyrus. Hippocrates. Aurelius Celsus. Galen. Archigenus. Claudius Galenus. Percival Park. Jean Godinot. Theodore Bavarian. Marie Curie. Ludwig Calvert. Janet Lane Clayton. Austin Hill. Richard Nixon. Harold Zurahoven. Chris Sweeney. Chris Hopkins. What do they all have in common? They all loved talking oncology. Welcome to a special podcast today with Dr. Carmel Pizarro. She's a medical oncologist previously gracing these fair shores of Australia and now plying her trade in the UK at Western Park Hospital in Yorkshire. She's an enthusiastic educator and it was a pleasure to chat to her about medical oncology in a time of COVID. She gives us some fascinating insights into the challenges facing patients and doctors. Now, I initially chatted to her prior to the UK Freedom Day, but what she says is still pertinent, and particularly in the most elderly and frail patients that are still at the highest risk of suffering from COVID. Please enjoy. Carmel, welcome to the Talking Oncology podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have us with you tonight, as we did have you virtually in Australia back on the night of eProspect. Now, you gave a very interesting talk about how medical oncology has been impacted by COVID-19, and you used the five stages of grief as your structure. And I would love to just get to the highlights of that today. So, Carmel, what have you noticed? If we start with the first stage, we're really looking at denial and the effects of isolation. How has this affected your patients that you've noticed? Yeah, so thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be back virtually with Australia. I I miss you all very much. The reason I use the five stages of grief is because I was thinking a lot about the reactions of some of the people I was trying to look after and also thinking about the reactions of myself and my colleagues and it felt like a really relevant thing that we've all been going through this sort of dramatic change in normality that's really rocked every single person and I don't think there's anyone who's not been directly impacted. So when I was thinking about it, it certainly wasn't with any kind of criticism in mind but I was trying to think about making sense of the reactions that that we've been seeing and I felt that grief was a really nice framework and when I was talking about denial it was really that denial and isolation concept because we've seen very much people falling into two quite discrete camps. There are some people who are very laser focused on their cancer and their cancer related treatment and are finding the concept of a global pandemic impacting on their cancer treatment very difficult. And so people are very frustrated by the fact that usual practices in terms of, for example, screening tests or staging scans are not necessarily available in the same way. And they're finding the fact that some of the treatments have been either delayed or perhaps that the risks and benefits of treatments are being very carefully rethought in light of the current environment. And then on the flip side, there are some people who are laser focused on the current and ongoing coronavirus situation and who are finding the thought of coming out of their isolation or um, over in the UK, we're calling it sheltering. So coming out of sheltering, even for a blood test, they're finding incredibly anxiety provoking. And of course, that therefore means that they're potentially not 
either willing or able to actually engage in treatment for their active cancer situation. So both of those scenarios we are seeing quite commonly and they're really challenging to try and help people manage. So people move on from denial into anger. And in your talk at East Prospect, you mentioned that your patients are having issues with mixed messages that they're getting from doctors, hospitals, policymakers, and politicians. What has been uh, something that you've noticed in this regard? Yeah, so I don't know if people move on to anger or, you know, one of the frameworks of grief suggests that you can just move to any particular one of the parts of grief. And, and I think for some people, anger has been a very predominant reaction and some people remain extremely angry about the whole situation and my feeling is that some of the things that we have done have not helped in terms of managing that anger and I would absolutely acknowledge that there have been so many challenges in the way that we've all been having to react to the situation and that means that our normal best practice communication may not exist you know we've gone to a almost entirely telephone based communication and it's much harder to communicate really truly terrible news over the telephone. But equally, if we bring people in in person, then we're delivering the news behind a mask and we're asking that people don't bring relatives so they're completely isolated in the room. And that's also not best practice. So that's been really challenging. But also amidst all of that, and I'm not trying to make a political comment, but I think there have been so many challenges in the messaging and what's been going on that have really been frustrating people. I want to pick up on what you said about best practice treatment. Another stage of the grief five steps is bargaining. What does best treatment mean in a COVID-19 era? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. And the reality is we're, I think we're all trying to figure that out. Um, we very quickly had to go back and really re-look at the data we have for benefit and risks of certainly all of our systemic treatments. And you know, what we may have felt was a very reasonable approach before we were in the midst of coronavirus might not be justified when you lay in the additional risk of all of those extra visits to hospital and all of that extra risk of a coronavirus illness. So we've been doing a lot of rethinking of what best treatment might look like, also in view of the fact that everyone's capacity to deliver treatment has changed because of the new social distancing rules. But we're doing a lot of compromise between what we feel is acceptable currently and what our previous gold standard, lovely purist phase three trial data may have suggested we previously would have recommended. And that's been quite challenging for everyone. I like a point that you made in your talk about the triple concern of cancer versus treatment versus COVID-19. And you went on to mention that this leads to a lot of depression and anxiety. What advice would you give to patients, doctors and allied health around the triple concern? So I think that this has been and will continue to be a challenge for all of us. It is difficult and it has been very challenging because of the complexity of the situation, the lack of knowledge about how things are going to turn out. So we're all working in this very uncertain situation and patients when we surround them by these anxieties, it's no wonder that they really feel very insecure in trusting that 
things are going to turn out okay. And I think clinicians have that same insecurity. And certainly some of our patients have become very depressed and that's really a terrible situation. We've been trying to make sure that we keep our supports as good as they can be. And my allied health and and nursing specialist colleagues have been doing a huge amount of work trying to put an extra contact with people to try and reassure them that actually that's cancer-related support still exists. But to be very blunt, I think depression and anxiety is going to continue to be a major issue for patients going forward. And again, if we specifically think about prostate cancer, where we're actually often talking about treatment that extends over some years, I think the impact of this coronavirus period and the changes that we made are actually going to continue to be felt for some years to come as people keep coming back to the decisions we made now and whether that's impacted on their future cancer situation. I guess that's really true, isn't it, about the anxiety of making decisions in a time when you weren't following best practice. I hope that everybody ends up in the acceptance phase of the five stages of grief. What do you think patients and doctors now accept as the new normal and are they happy with it? So I think that the new normal in itself is continuing to change which is really hard. And of course, we're not out of coronavirus. If we look at the worldwide cases, they're actually higher than ever at this point where we're talking. And I know that there are little outbreaks um, back in, in parts of Australia at the moment. So certainly, I think we are all moving to something that is not what we were doing before. And I think we'll be in this phase for quite some time. I think, again, speaking personally, I'm becoming more used to the change in the delivery of care. Telephone consultations are becoming more comfortable. We're starting to use some video consultations, which are actually really quite a pleasure to see people. We're getting a handle on how we use our much more limited face-to-face resource to try and, and make sure that we do look after people. And I think, likewise, our patients are moving to a place where I think they will be more comfortable with the style of healthcare that's being delivered, acknowledging that we are all walking that balance between trying to provide the best care that we can for their cancer and at the same time acknowledging that the environment that we're now practicing is very different than the environment even six months ago. You finished your talk in eProspect with a little gem that really resonated with me, and that is this concept of, are patients still able to live and die well with cancer despite COVID-19? You know, are we able to still deliver good quality care? What are your thoughts on this? There is no question that patients are still dying of their cancer, despite coronavirus being a focus at the moment. And I truly believe that we can deliver quality palliation in this environment. It it may not look exactly the same as it used to, but I think as long as we keep those open, clear lines of communication going, and as long as we involve our colleagues in, for example, the palliative care services, I think we can deliver quality end-of-life care. It's important as part of that, that oncology clinicians of every kind are very clear about the situation in terms of the cancer moving to an end stage place because otherwise it's very difficult to get that quality palliation in place. But I truly believe that 
palliation remains a, a cornerstone of what we do and is very deliverable despite the coronavirus pandemic. Thank you, Carmel. We wish you and your colleagues well and hope you stay safe over there in the UK and we look forward to seeing you in person back here in Australia one day soon. Thank you. I really hope the same. This Talking Oncology podcast was proudly brought to you by Janssen. This podcast was produced by Joseph Iskier and Cara Webb and made possible by the generous support of Janssen. Views and opinions expressed in this presentation are those of the presenters alone and are not necessarily reflective of the views and opinion of Janssen Select Proprietary Limited or any employees thereof. This information is not medical advice and no decision relating to the management of any patient should be made with reliance on the information contained in this presentation. It's your responsibility to prescribe appropriate treatment in accordance with your clinical judgment and by reference to the appropriate Australian product information or other information supplied with the relevant product, including in relation to any indication, dosage and route of administration. So if you're still with us after that disclaimer, we hope you join us for other podcasts.